how these randoms keep getting jobs. Don't worry about it. I'm going to say, I can't wait to say Ah, oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. gentlemen and welcome to another edition of the not bland show powered by sportsjourney.com and i'm your host dujanae bland and we have a great show for you today we're going to have general manager of cruise pedragon racing caleb cox he's going to talk with us about the third or the second half of this playoffs uh man it's just getting better and better uh, we're going to have chris james on from the football game plan. We're going to talk a little Saints and a little NFL. And at the end, you know what we do here at Sports Journey. We cover the Washington Commanders. And we're going to talk about the Commanders' win over the Atlanta Falcons. And we look forward to a really tough game against the New York Giants. But first, we're going to talk what we do. We're going to go racing. And I'm going to bring in my man, Caleb Cox. What's going on, brother? Hey, Dushnay. Good to have good to see you, brother. It's been a while. Yes, sir. It's been a while. Um, how things are going? Good. You know, just kind of getting through the last couple races of the countdown. Uh, you know, trying to get our stuff together. <laughs> hasn't yeah. been uh hasn't been a great season or hasn't been a great countdown altogether. But uh hey, it's part of racing. Some years you're good, some years you're not. Um yeah. learn from it from from what we've done and try to carry off into next year. Yeah. One thing about that, uh, one thing about you guys, you guys have a really good nucleus, uh, some really good guys that I believe, especially uh, Ryan Elliott, who's right on the cusp of being his own crew chief one day. I know he told me he's like, nah, but yeah, he is. Um, and, uh, you know, Cruz has been there, done that. He knows the ups and the ebbs and flows of this thing. And y'all be back. <laughs> yep, for sure. Oh, for sure. Man, it's been a hell of a hell of a uh playoffs. And this lady here goes 47 wins. She is got 47 on, on her career, making her the winningest female, and basically to me, the greatest female in all of motorsports at, at this time. Uh she has three wins on the year, five championships on the hook and trying to go for six, man, we are seeing greatness at its finest, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely don't disagree with you. I mean, if you if you measure greatness by by wins and championships, which, you know, most people do, right. um, you think of, you think of Tom Brady, you think of the Super Bowls, you think of uh, the number of championships that Erica has and puts her in that elite category and not just of uh, women professional drivers but in drivers you know as a whole so right. what she's been able to accomplish her, in her time from the juniors all the way to where she is now is is very exciting to see and you know there used to be i, I it wasn't a rumor but i know that she even 
thought about going into the Nitro Funny Car ranks for a little bit. Um, I think she's a pure driver where she could go anywhere that she she wanted to. She's got a great team behind her uh, with the elite team and Richard Freeman and her sister. And, you know, they're well connected. They're uh, they got great sponsors. Um, they got a great team around her. And that's one of the big things that I think has really helped Erica throughout the years is it's not just her as the driver. Yes, she can cut lights. Yes, she can drive the wheels off that car. But having kind of like you said about Ryan, that great core nucleus of a team around you for so many years, not only you know, helps you personally, but helps your game and elevates you to another level. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the biggest, greatest of importance. You know, you can be, you know, the best athlete on any given team, but if you don't have players around you to help you get to that, um, it's virtually impossible. Uh, you know, here it is, like I said, three wins on the year. Uh, they haven't dominated this year, but now here we are. She's in the lead. Greg stumped his toe at Texas. Does she go? And, and is this her sixth championship that we're looking at? I, I think more than likely, you look at the points. I mean, Greg's 85 back. Um, if you're not within, you know, two rounds coming out of Texas, the last two races are really hard. I know Pomona's points and a half, but – you know, the pressure is really on um, Erica, just for her to keep that championship lead. It just has to be kind of a rinse and repeat, not try to get too high, not try to get too low, but just, you know, same, like, you know, cut my lights, drive my car. Um, so being in the driver's seat, you know, for some people it's comfortable, you know, some people it's, you know, the pressure does kick in, but I think she's been here so many times that, you know, we're going into the last two races. I don't think the pressure is going to, to bother her much. I mean, Greg's going to have to fight like hell and he's going to need some luck on his side. But I think the pressure is, you know, almost non-existent to Erica at this point. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, there's nobody that handles pressure more. I think uh, if you guys didn't see the little documentary that they did, um, it really shows it's what I've always thought about her. Um, she's hard on herself and is extremely ticked off when she doesn't live up to the level of, of greatness that she thinks that she should. Um, and that's what makes these, that's what makes athletes and drivers great is they continue to work. They're never stopping. They're always working, always looking to find an edge, always looking to be the best at what they do every weekend, every week, whether it's practice on the track and it's real um, she's always looking to improve and that's where you find that it factor and um, man it, it's it's showing up and now that she's ahead smelling blood in the water it's going to be very very difficult for the uh, you know she'd have to pretty much fall on her face she'd basically not have to show up the last two races <laughs> yeah and before we carry on I want you guys to see how she got her 47th win of her career They're off and gone. She was 26, he was 53, and Erica Anders was 65 up, and she's further up than that. 646-9 at 211-55, a convincing final round victory for Anders. And the Elite Motorsports team just made it at the top, and to congratulate the now winningest female in NHRA history, and you hold that Wally, what will this one symbolize for you? 
Oh man, we have a lot that mean an awful lot to us, but uh, this one does a lot for self-confidence and, and for my team. But as a little girl that was eight years old with big dreams to be a professional driver one day in a junior dragster and working my th way through the Lucas Oil Series and now being here for 20 years, uh, this one will sit proudly alongside of some other ones. But I give God all the glory, man. This, is, uh, this has been quite the journey for us. It's not been easy, way more valleys than peaks, but I give the Lord the credit and uh, my team, man, Richard Freeman gave me an opportunity 10 years ago and uh, we've never looked back. So for JHG and Melling, Gallagher Peopleese, C-Tech, C-H-E, Jim Greenheck won, Michael Holcomb won, Jerry Emmons won, David Quadro was in the finals. So uh, this was quite the exciting weekend for us, but uh, we did it, baby. Woo! Amazing stuff. And I tell you, um, Jags is showing up here in Vegas as if she needs any help. Uh, she doesn't <laughs> really. Um, but that's a you know, I, I'm gonna call it what it is. It's a blocker. Um, oh, for sure. and I'm okay sure. with that. Strategy is strategy. I love the strategy that they had before a few years ago and they pulled it off. Um, it, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome to see. Now, the move over into the nitro category, boy, it really looked like for a second that Doug was going to steamroll his way right to his first championship. And now it's starting to look a little shaky. The uh, what I called and deemed the Allen Johnson syndrome of the phantom tire smoke has returned the past two races and bit them. They can't now they're not that far out of it. She's only four point. He's only four points back from Leah, which we're going to get to uh, mm -hmm. who's charged forward. But it's almost like it's not a trustworthy, but can he get out of this second round, stop killing himself, and actually get a championship here in these next two races? That's tough, and it's going to, you know, you know, through the last couple, obviously, Allen's had some tire smoke issues. We know in the past that, you know, Allen, and when we get to the to funny car, it's almost like Aaron Brooks, like guaranteed Friday night, Saturday night, you know, they can – they can run the car. Um, Sunday, you're going to run first low ET of the first round, maybe smoke tires in the second round. Um, now, do I think Doug has the team around him to win? Absolutely. Can Allen strategically get around these last two tracks? Possibly. Um, but if I'm, I'm looking at the points, it's almost a five, maybe six race field of cars that could sneak their way in with yeah. points and a half. Um, I think, yeah, the top six cars are, are probably in play. Um, Steve, I think possibly has the best shot out of all three. Um, I think he, if there was one car that I would trust and it's because of the depth of knowledge and not to take any away from any of the other crew chiefs. I mean, Alan's a hall of fame crew chief, you know, one of the greatest tuners of all time. Um, Leah's got a strong team around her with Strasbaugh and Damagala. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, the Richard Hogan, Bobby Lagana combo, and not just Lagana, but also having, you know, if Billy's out there, you know, Stevie's out there who's been out there since the 50s, 60s. I mean, they have so many smart people around that car. And it's just, you saw it with the run last week against Billy. I mean, those cars are just dialed to a T that. You know, it's really tough to beat. And, you know, my biggest disappointment and probably from a personal standpoint is the Mike Salinas car. 
even though it runs 66, I mean, you, you can give them the best car, but you know, when you cut one fifteens, one whatever's, you know, at this late in the season, that's, I don't know if it's pressure. I don't know if it's whatever it is, but the last, once you get into this countdown and, and I, I felt it the last, you know, 10 years of being in the sport, um, the last five races are, are, are stressful. The last three races are the most stressful of the season and you can feel it on the teams. You can feel it on the drivers. So the, the person that can keep the same rhythm, the same calm, the kind of put those blinders on and block everything out. Uh, you, you, you see too many people trying to like, Oh, I got to take a stab at it. This one, we really got to get there. Really got to get there. You know, sometimes you just gotta do what you can do and let the cards fall where they may. I mean, winning a championship is just about it is, is you being in the right place at the right time. Most of the time. Exactly. Um, So, but the strong teams, that can be consistent and that can just, you know, run the same laps over and over and over. Those are the ones that are going to come out on top in the end. Yeah. And um, it's, that's really where it boils down to consistency. And that hasn't been the case uh, for them. They had that consistency when they pulled the car out, this particular car out and they've kind of tripped and kind of fell back to uh, their old ways. Um, That's really tough. Um, Yeah. And uh, Nicole says two races left. Duck can still pull it off. I, yeah, he definitely has the opportunity. I just worry about are we back in that same – are we back in the rut again of we we look good at qualifying, we, we go up and put big numbers, and then when it comes to race day, second round semifinals, you get out of character for whatever reason, and you unload the tires when you hadn't done it all weekend and you made – you know, three or four qualifying runs look good. Um, and the one and, thing Al- Alan's going to have is the last two tracks is, are always going to be at cool conditions. You're going to mm-hmm. go to Vegas where it's high altitude and a low water grain. So you're going to, the motor's going to produce a lot of power. I believe they run at night, probably at least two out of the four qualifying sessions. Um, but the last, you know, they're, if you want to stay in this championship hunt, you have to go to the semis the last two yeah, races you have absolutely. to and that yeah. puts a lot of pressure on the drivers now do i think you know doug's been there done that obviously hasn't won a championship yet but i think he out of he and steve are probably the two drivers that you know when the pressure's on out of the last you know six you know you can i'm not counting anybody out here but if i'm throwing money down doug and steve i feel like is the the final two battle yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I, I think those two cars at this moment have been the most consistent. But the surprise for all of us has been Leah. Um, they, you know, if you look at their last four races, they've been in the semifinal round consistently here. Mm-hmm. It was a matter of a breakthrough. And they finally broke broke through there in Dallas. She takes that points lead. Do they have the combination to go to distance? It feels like to me that Strasbaugh and Damagala are starting to come into their own now. Like they're everything's starting to work. They're feeling comfortable. Um, they're getting a rhythm with this car. If anybody can sneak up and get somebody, I feel like it is Leah. Um, she has the ability, no doubt, 
And it, all they have to do is just give her the car. I agree that the team is there. Um, Damagala, Strasbaugh, I believe they, like you said, are coming into their own. And that, you know, the consistency matters. Now, when it comes down to the pressure time, that's going to be the big question. It's falling on the driver's shoulders, you know, depending on who she's racing and you can see a variation in lights i know she works really hard at trying to cut those low justin ashley type lights um that's going to be you know where this team is going to live or die it's going to be when the pressure's on in the second round and you're racing a, a josh hart an austin proc a justin ashley you know when you really have to push the tree um those little reaction times like you can't be you can't be in the 60s, 70s no more. Like yeah. you got to live in the 30s to 50s, which is crazy to talk about. But that's kind of where the sport is right now is if you're in top fuel, you better live in those 30s to, to 50s. Yeah, I mean, Nicole has a, a really good one. How big would it be if TSR could pull off the championships? You know, I, that's another one. Um, Matt Hagen, uh, all of a sudden, they're – starting to look like themselves and they really punched people in the mouth this weekend, this past weekend. Um, it's hard. When I look around now, I got Bob and Bob's been focusing and been, been driving under pressure for a while now, but man, it, when you got Matt, they might be a problem. Yeah. If, if let's say hypothetically, if Stewart's teams both win the championship one, that's, that's a huge plus for the sport. I think media wise, I yeah. think that also gives Tony an outlet to go to other guys in the, you know, different fields, as you will, different motorsports be like, Hey, you know, maybe this is a good idea for you guys to own a, you know, a nitro funny car team or a top fuel team, like a Rick Ware, you know, like Tony is, you know, maybe down the line that that opens up doors for more people, more owners to, and, helps us up the car count. So I think one, that could be a, be, you know, great for the sport. Um, it's a battle of the last four, you know, Caps, Height, Tasca, Hagen. We talk about consistency. There's nobody more consistent, I think, than Dickie Venables. I mean, that team is of rinse and repeat, like, you know, death taxes and Dickie running low ET. Um, <laughs> I think, I think Tasca is obviously there. I think uh, Brooks can, throw the moonshot when it needs to be. And it seems like he's gotten more and more consistent in doing that. Oh yeah. Uh, but Brooks's MO throughout the years is, you know, he runs fast in qualifying and then it either smokes tires or it doesn't in first round. But this year, I mean, they're putting it together, putting it together. And, and Bob is, you know, he's a killer on the lights. Like when he's <laughs> on, he's on. And the yeah. one thing I, what I do like about him compared to the other three that are in the chase is Bob is very, strategic on each person that he races meaning he's not going to stage the same way if you watch bob like he's going to make john force go in first jr todd does the same thing yeah. he's not gonna if you watch you know a, a, a hagen a height height will kind of drop it in there when he needs to um caps is very good at shallow staging so is hagen trying to get everything every et out of it um, I think Bob, even though he is, I would say out of the top, even though he's second, he's the dark horse of the bunch, but I think he's also the most 
the most dangerous that can come out of nowhere. I think yeah. Hagen is the the betting favorite, the safe, easy pick, but I think yeah. Task is the the one that he's going to come out of nowhere and bite you. Task is my championship pick, and to close this thing out, I'm going to ask you, who are your champions of 2023? I'm going to go Steve Torrance in Top Fuel. Um, I think that's the the surefire way. I, you never count out the Capco boys with two out. Um, I'm going to go Matt Hagen. It's the safe. It's the easy pick. It's probably the betting favorite. Um, I think consistency, Dickie Venables, you know, you, Dickie rarely does wrong and he rarely goes over his head and he's kind of on it all the time. Um, obviously, Gage Herrera is wrapping that up in Pro Stock Bike. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think Erica rides and gets number six. Yeah. Yeah. I like those picks. I like those picks. So tell everybody where they can find you at and talk shop with you and what you got going on coming up. Cause I know you got some stuff off the track going on too. Let's see. Uh, you can find me on Instagram on Twitter, Showtime 43 CC. Uh, we got all kinds of stuff coming up, you know, getting crews ready for, let's see, we'll have chili bowl. We'll have, you know, some different things we're doing this off season. We're spawn we got Cruz Petragon Esports now. So we're doing some my racing stuff. Um, we got all wow. kinds of things popping off. I'm in the MMA promotion business. So I got a fight coming up November 18th in Sullivan, Indiana, and January 27th. Um, be some some interesting news coming out next year. Obviously, we're getting ready for the for the pro shootout in Bradenton. I will oh, yeah. not I will not be able to attend because my second child is due the exact same weekend. So won't be able to to make that race, but it looks fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely looks fun. And uh yeah, um it, I'll be talking to you about uh uh some type of um you know ability to drive in the esports for a cruise. <laughs> for sure. For sure, man. <laughs> Well, man, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll get at you soon. First time, but won't be the last. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate it every time we talk. No problem, man. Later. Right. And that's Caleb Cox, ladies and gentlemen. And, man, uh, before we get on and move on to uh, football, I'll show you guys who the winners were for Dallas. You've got Matt Hagan. You've got Leah Pruitt. And... Erica Enders, and of course, Gage Herrera. Yeah, he just keeps rolling along. It's crazy how he just continues to just win and win and win, and they just continue to get better. Well, we're going to get on to our NFL discussion, and I'm very happy to bring on this guy here. We kick it at the uh, – at the uh, what is it? Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl, there we go. Yeah. Why do I have a brain fart, man? Um, and nobody's more knowledgeable about the game, the college game, the NFL game than this guy. Chris, thanks for coming on, brother. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah. And so I know you're a Saints guy, so I want to start there first. Yeah. They played Thursday night. They're three and three. My first question when it comes to the Saints, though, before we get into that, are these struggles that we're seeing the Saints having rest on Dennis Allen? I mean, there's a lot of talent. I believe David uh, uh, Carr is the best option. He's he's doing a 
pretty decent job. Doesn't have a rhythm with his his um wide receivers, but this team on defense is fifth in the league in rushing uh yards per game, fifth in the league in passing defense. There's no reason why on offense that they can't get this thing moving and Kamara's back. Yeah, so I, I think I'll get this stat right. In 12 of their last 13 games, they've given up 20 or less points. Um, I think that they're right around 500 in those games, so that pretty much speaks to the offensive struggles, whether it's been with or without Carr. Um, what's on Dennis Allen specifically is the – ineffectiveness so the procedure penalties yes. uh, not inspiring them to do things like i'd love for Derek carr to get moved off the spot more often because the offensive line has his struggles especially on the inside and yeah. trevor pinning still learning how to play football at this stage for some reason so it, it, it that's on dennis allen now the other stuff is honestly on Pete carmichael and it's just Sometimes the game passes you by and you don't evolve. And that doesn't mean he can't can't catch up, but he hasn't adapted to some of the newer things that are necessary in the game with all that talent. They really do have a glut of talent and they're 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 not utilizing it correctly. And then Derek Carr is honestly out there at some points playing a high school offense, throwing 50-50 balls instead yeah. of going through progressions. I've been more mad with him in certain situations than even the 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 play calling because it seems like he just doesn't let things happen. He's not comfortable at all. And he's just got to settle the hell down. He's a veteran. He's been in the yeah. league for 10 years now. So settle down. No excuse. And especially when, I mean, they have Kamara's back. I feel like they're not using him at the best, at his best right now. Um, there's no reason why Michael Thomas shouldn't have more uh, receptions, more big plays, Um it just it seems like they just continue to stifle themselves repeatedly um, And coming into this Thursday night game. Uh, they're facing a team that uh, on paper uh, is 21st in yards per game. That is rushing or rushing yards and passing. They aren't any better. I think it's like 31st. So there's no reason why they can't take advantage of this particular defense offensively. What do they have to do to get this thing going? And and it's at home. It's in the dome. No yep. excuse. They should be able to come in and they should be able to dominate offensively. So I'll start with what the defense should do. And one thing I do want to see changed and they didn't do enough of against the Texans. If it is Trevor Lawrence starting, they need to blitz. They need to blitz more than 10% of the time. They need to yes. bring pressure because he actually struggles against pressure. Uh, I said this when he was coming out. When he gets hit, his base gets wider and he starts to flow passes. That's been a problem since he was a freshman at Clemson. Uh, and it still plagues him now. As far as if it's C.J. Beathard, they need to shell up and do what they've been doing, and I think they'll be fine. On offense, they really need to start to move Carr off the spot. If you make him a sitting target against a team that does have pretty solid edge rushers, it's going to be a problem. Take advantage of overactive linebackers as well. Do a lot of things where you roll them and then throw back uh, – to Kamara on screens and stop getting to the check down so soon. Carr's biggest problem of late is it's as if one and two don't exist. Three, which is Kamara usually, is one. So he's got to stop doing that as well. And let the deep shots develop themselves. Don't just start taking them just because they may be there. Let them actually develop themselves, and they haven't done that yet either. Yeah, and I said David earlier. I meant Derek. 
Um, it, it, yeah, Carr is starting to turn into check down Charlie uh, 2.0, and that's not good when there's no reason to really. You've got, you've got. I mean, Alave is, jeez. I mean, the his catch radius is ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. And um, you know, I, I really like what you're talking about there because now we know that um, Trevor is coming in with a knee issue. I was I was thinking they go with uh, C.J. Beathard. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. And if they're going to put him in, the blitzing is going to tell you whether he's going to be good enough to be able to move the pocket. We know that Trevor likes to get out, and he's been a monster getting outside the pocket and making plays outside mm -hmm. of it. We're going to see if he can really do that, and that's the way to find out. So give him some heat, see if he can get out of that pocket. If he can't, you know exactly what you need to do, and it's put nose down, pedal down, and get after it. Yep. I, I would literally play defense against him, similar to how the Bucks played Drew Brees in that last playoff game, where you put a single over the top at about 15 to 20, have him be responsible to roam, press up on the slots, give a little bit on the exterior, and then bring pressure. Just make sure that he feels you and see if Trevor can really do a job. To your point, if he's injured, what he likes to do is get outside the pocket and make plays because, I mean, let's go ahead and call it what it is. He is an athlete, no matter yeah. what people want to say. That guy can run. Um, so that's the way to test it out. And if he does well with that on a couple of plays, then you drop back into your normal set because he is healthy. Yeah. Um, you. What do you think we're look that you're looking at here with this game on Thursday night? So – if Trevor Lawrence, well, if they take the approach, I think the Saints will take. And if Trevor Lawrence is as injured as I think he is, what I think will end up happening is the Saints will actually prevail in this game. It's going to be ugly. I think they actually score more than 20 points. I have them winning 24 to 15, an awkward score. Yeah, I, I think they I think they win as well. Um, these Thursday night games, though, are really weird um, with teams. But I think this one really favors the home team. Uh, in so many facets. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever even been to the Dome, but if you've ever been to the Dome, that place is insanely ridiculous. It doesn't matter. Saints football is everything, and they, those fans show it. It's going to be very difficult for that Jaguars offense. And uh, like you said, injuries going to be a problem. And if you can't move, it's going to be a long, long night for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. There's also some other things to come to play here. So outside the Saints being, they're aware that they have issues. So they're on top of that. The trip wasn't a long one. It was from Houston. If you've ever driven that, it's like a five-hour drive, if that. Um, people forget Jacksonville just had a big game against a divisional rival at home. They were in London for two weeks. Eventually, these things catch up to you. Yes. So yes. I expect some of their players on defense to be a little more tired than normal. And that's why I think the Saints can actually put up some points. Yeah, I mean, wow. They were smart to stay over there. They, they had two games, but, man, that definitely is going to catch up with you. Definitely going to catch up with you. Now, the Detroit Lions are 5-1 and one on the season. I feel like this team is taking advantage and really taking on the personality of their head coach. I mean, they just come out, they punch people in the mouth, and they're going to slug it out with you. Down in, down out. Can this team actually make a playoff run, possibly get close to the NFC Championship game? 
So I think they can. And the major reason is because of the setup of the playoffs. So um, they remind me of a lesser version or a different version of Philadelphia, which is why I know that they can give a lot of people's front runner in the NFC loads of trouble. They can give San Francisco loads of trouble. San Francisco wants to get after you and doesn't want to get for, for all intents and purposes, hitting them out. They yes. don't want to play against that. That's why they were going to struggle against Philly. They'd struggle against Detroit. The worst thing that could happen for Detroit is having to play against the Eagles on that side of their bracket. Yeah. That'll probably knock them out. But if they have to play Dallas, if they have to play San Francisco, I think they'll be fine. They can make the NFC Championship, but I don't think they can beat Dallas. And if, oddly enough, New Orleans ever got their stuff together, that's another team that I think they would struggle with. But as of right now, they'd probably beat New Orleans as well. Yeah, I I like what they have. I I don't know. I I don't trust Dallas right now. I felt like they uh, took advantage uh, of a badly coached football team in the Los Angeles Chargers. A guy who shouldn't even be a head coach right now should have been gone two years ago. Um, you know the mistakes they made. I believe they had like fourteen penalties. Uh, a lot of these penalties are um, you know really discipline issues. And as the old saying goes, you either are not correcting them or you're coaching it or you don't care. Yeah. So I, I don't know if Dallas possibly could be good enough to make the playoffs. What's what the problem is in their schedule, if they have to play good teams, they're going to lose a lot of games because they just aren't disciplined enough. And they come out. Mike McCarthy is the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Don't trust them. It was the worst move ever to move on from Kellen Moore, and it's actually showing. They're just – they've had a couple bad football teams in the beginning. They got boat raced and dog walked by the 49ers. Was that the 49ers? Yes. Oh, yeah. And then you come out, play a bad football team in the Chargers, which should have dog walked you too because they've got a lot of talent over there on that offensive side, and the defense was pretty much doing their job for the most part. And – they do Charger-like things, and they win the football game. I just don't know how long you can continue to go through a season doing that and getting away with it. I just don't see Dallas doing that. I, I could see the Lions dog-walking them too. I know a lot of people don't like, uh, you know, Jared Goff, but, you know, the guy wins football games. And really, as a head coach, that's all you need. Um, and lately – He's done a really good job of not turning the football over, making smart decisions with the football when there's nothing there, and uh, keeping his guys and keeping the de the sticks positive more than negative. So people forget this. In the 2016 draft, I believe, or 20, yeah, uh, Dak and Jared Goff came out together. And I had them neck and neck. Uh, I thought Goff checked more of the boxes that most coaches like, especially QB coaches. My issue with him was when pressure came, he didn't respond well, and Dak Prescott did. So Dak was my number one quarterback. Just a shade behind was Jared Goff. Jared Goff doesn't have that problem anymore. Uh, he did when he was with the Rams still. I don't know if it's because he went to Detroit and he's worked with, you know, being under Dan Campbell and worked with those people. But there have been several situations this season, including against the against the, the Chiefs in game one. This week against the Bucks, I watched that whole game. And there were times when he was about to get smoked. He didn't shy away. He took the hit, made the throw. If he's going to play like that, 
that's why the Lions have a real chance to not only make the NFC Championship, but if the Eagles falter, they could get to the Super Bowl. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. I, that's something I believe in watching how they play. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I really, it's it's really good for Detroit. Um, and it's a nice shakeup for the division. Um, you know, it's been Green Bay and, and the Minnesota show kind of for a while there. And now we're starting to see a, a formidable team. Uh, you know, they, they've been kind of like Seattle back in the day, you know, the come on Seattle. You've been like, come on Lions. And, and now they actually have something. Uh, it's, it's really, really fun to watch. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to be able to do uh, down the stretch. Don't. Talk about five and one teams. Which one of these five and one teams that we have left have the best chance to make a Super Bowl appearance? See, I'm going to say the uh, one that sounds ridiculous here. It's the one that always makes the Super Bowl. Literally, out of the five seasons this guy's been a quarterback, they've made the Super Bowl three times. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. Until the Kansas City Chiefs don't make an AFC championship, I'm going to believe that they're going to make the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, They might not win it, but, I mean, I know people want to trust the Bills. They ask Josh Allen to do too much. And for some they reason, they can't get right on defense. There's always a major injury. Uh, the Ravens, same thing. They asked Lamar to do too much, basically bail us out of inspiring but not scheming well. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati, it just feels weird this year with Cincinnati. So, I mean, it seems like the AFC is this, oh, it's going to be so tough. Honestly, I think the NFC at the end will be tough because I think it's more top-heavy than the AFC actually is. Uh, on paper, the AFC is better, but I think with functional teams – yeah. I'd rather not play. I'd rather play the AFC's top teams than San Francisco, Philly, and Detroit with how they play. You don't want that smoke. Right. I agree. Um, NFC's got got that punchy in the mouth feel. Uh, AFC is finesse, um, a lot of finesse. And if they do get punched in the mouth, it slows that finesse down, sometimes stifles that finesse. And, um, I mean, because you look at Miami, um, they're, just, they're just lighting you up like – they're just coming out. We're going to come out and we're going to like horses running. <laughs> we're going to come out wide open and uh, hope that you don't stop us. And and I just don't see that if I'm going to have to be in a 13-10 ball game and I'm going to have to slug it out, I don't see those teams outside of Pat Mahomes doing that job. Yeah, and I can see a guy like Spagnolo in the first time if they meet up, let's say, uh, kind of hold it back. Let's say they meet up in the AFC championship, you know, that short motion and stuff like that. I could see people reading keys, jumping that short stuff with a single over the top, just in case Tua gets it out there. Yeah. Bringing a blitz and seeing, okay, we could let you get us with Tyree kill. If you actually have him in rhythm, or we can make you feel something and you got to a, get the ball out B get it out to him accurately but guess what? See, you're going to get hit. And I think that's what teams are going to wait to do. And Kansas City is the one that probably will scheme that way in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's that's the best way. I think just sitting back and trying to trying to scheme up and trying to do all this smoke and mirror stuff doesn't do nothing but get you a broken play and get the cheetah over the top. And all all two has to do is just throw it out there. Throw it. Throw it as soon as you can and let him run under it. So, um, yeah, I agree with you on that. That's definitely uh, the way to go 
to stop the the Dolphins there. Um, before we let you go, who are your Super Bowl picks? So before the season started, uh, Super Bowl picks were pretty pretty straightforward for me. I had Kansas City winning over the 49ers. Uh, as I sit currently right now, I could honestly see a, a repeat. Um, my biggest issue with the 49ers is I, I have the same issue with the Ravens. Somebody's got to bring up some reports on their medical staff. There's far too many players that get hurt for both the Ravens and the 49ers over the last half decade. Uh, I think it's twice as many as any other teams. So I don't know if they're going to survive through the season. That's my biggest issue with them. If they're healthy, I'd actually take them uh, to get to the Super Bowl, but give me the Eagles losing again to the Kansas City Chiefs. I like that. I like that pick. Um, and, yeah, I agree with you with the 49ers. That's, uh, yeah, I, too many injuries, too much too much of that, and it's why. You know what I mean? It's just – it's really weird. Uh, tell everybody where they can uh, talk to you and uh, listen to your uh, your stuff that you do great at. <laughs> well, you know, I try. But if you want to get at me, the best place is on Twitter slash X. I refuse to just call it X because that's weird. And it's on the screen. It's at CJ Florida 9. Also on – I have a podcast. I do four different uh, versions of the show per week. Uh, Make Good Mondays, Turf Talk Thursdays, Week Side Wednesdays, and Fantasy Football Fridays. That's the Chopping It Up with CJ podcast. Um, we're in season three of that. And then if you're in the New York area, I do fantasy football for Picks 11 on their NY Blitz every week. Try to give you some good information to help you win some games there. Um, and floating around the ether, I'm also on the Let's Talk Ball Network uh, with Big B, uh, Darren Howard, and that whole crew. So. Try to float around as much as possible. Yes, sir. And uh, I'm telling you guys, he does great work, and uh, you should definitely check out the podcast. It's 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 like that. It's like that. Thank you so much, Chris. And uh, like I tell everybody, first time, but it will not be the last time. Oh, for sure. D. Bland, thank you for having me on. As usual, I will come back whenever you need me to. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Man, what a great conversation with Chris. And uh, here we are. Right towards the end here, um, I will use my seawall imitation here. Uh, make sure you share this show with your Washington Commanders, friends and family, uh, in groups, whatever, because we're getting ready to talk Commanders, and I'm going to bring in my guy in Sports Journey Zone, Bob Matthews. What's going on, Bob? DJ, good to see you, man. Although I'm a, I'm a little intimidated here, man. Watching, listening to the two of you guys chop it up for the last ten minutes or so. I don't know if I can hang up here. Oh, you can hang. You, you <laughs> can hang. You're one of the best. Uh, I do what I best. can. I do what I can. Right now, I'm, I'm watching Darcy Kemper give up another two goals in the first period with the Caps. It's a little painful right now. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that the Caps can turn this thing around uh, and be become a more formidable hockey team this season. They've got the you know they've got some exciting young kids that they've that Spencer Carberry has uh has integrated into the lineup. I, I think give these guys a month to kind of figure out Carberry's system and I think it could be an interesting stretch run the second half of the year. Yeah. Yeah I, I, I really hope so because it, it's it's fun when the caps are doing well. Oh nothing nothing like it on M Street when they are. 
Man, and it would be nice if the commanders could continue to do well. Uh, They were able to pull it off there in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, My first question with this whole thing here is pertains to Eric Bieniemy. Do you think he needs to make more of an effort to run the football? Um, And and I also believe when I look at this is I see a lot of B-Rob running into the backside of his guard or center and let's have some creativeness with this run game. Um, There's so many things that B Rob, even Gibson, even we saw Rodriguez come out and really put, Mm -hmm. he strung together three or four runs that were beautiful. Um, What do you think that, that Eric B needs to do as far as this run game? Well, I tell you one thing. This question right here is going to warm Chris Russell's heart on the Team 980 because, you know, Russell is always about run the ball, run the ball. And I I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, I know that the, you know, modern offenses, it's all throw the ball to set up the run, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But, yeah, they've got to have more of a balance, I think. Now, now, granted, uh, you know, the Chicago game when, you know – with Sam Howell threw it 40 or 50 times or whatever was an outlier, but yeah, you know, it's the best way to take some pressure off a young quarterback who is obviously holding the ball a little bit too long in some cases, um, you know, and getting sacked a lot. It'll take the pressure off of an offensive line that let's face it is just not the best in the league. We always hear offensive linemen love to run block. They love to run block. So yeah, you know, don't just start handing the ball off in the fourth quarter when you're trying to uh, nurse a score and a half lead or something like that. Come out and try to establish it. I mean, that's what Brian Robinson's there for. The guy's a banger. And I know you can't run it every first and second down because, right. you know, then you're tipping your hand. But, yeah, I think in a couple of games they have gotten away from the run a little quickly at least that's, you know, my opinion sitting on the sidelines or in the press box or something like that. I'm yeah. sure the coaches have a, a totally different uh, different perspective on it. But, yeah, it would be nice to see them use those three weapons in the backfield a little bit more than they have so far. Yeah, and I had a, had my guy CP3 on uh, last week from the Sports on the Hill podcast, and we always talk about this, especially during the games, is the fact that the matter is that when you run block – you allow these offensive linemen to push downhill. It gets them going. When you're always in retreat mode, it, it it really doesn't help the offensive line. Let them fire off. Let them hit. Let them really impose their will on the defensive line. And then once that happens, they're starting to wear them down a little bit. They don't come mm-hmm. off the ball so quickly and round the corners to put pressure on your quarterback. And he has more time to, to make those plays downfield. Um, I, I really feel like that I understand that there's so many weapons in the passing game and it, it really, I think Eric Bieniemy licks his chops because he has to me more talent at the wide receiver position here in Washington than they do. If you want to say talent wise in Kansas city, but he was able to make that work regardless. So I think he really licks his chops when he, gets out here, knows what the potential is, and maybe gets a little happy (laughs) on the passing side because of it. 
I think that's part of it. Also, something that we got to remember, it's kind of hard to commit to the run when your defense is out there on nylon roller skates and you're giving up big play after big play, the back seven is. There's You don't feel like as an offensive coordinator, I'm not sure I can go ahead and commit to the run here because if we don't, you know, if, if, if we do that and we don't score here, the way the defense is playing, we could be looking at a two or three score game really quickly, kind of like what happened against Buffalo. Right. I, I don't, uh, I don't. It's a lot easier, with- I think, to get into that, into that run first mentality. If you go out, maybe only get a couple of first downs, kick it away, but then your defense stuffs the other team, you know, three and out then, yeah, you feel a little bit more comfortable coming back in and running the ball. I, I wonder if the enemy thinks, you know, going into every game, he thinks it's going to be a track meet and we're going to have to outscore the other team. You know, and I, I never really thought of it that way, and I, I don't blame him. Uh, this defense hasn't this defense hasn't done anything to really warrant any type of a trust. Um, and my biggest problem with that is that there's so much talent here, I feel like Jack is running the most vanilla type defense that you can find. And I feel like offenses, when they come in and when they get this team, they know exactly where people are going to be and they pick them apart because there's really nothing to it. He doesn't do anything exotic. You know, you look at Dallas, they move Micah Parsons all over that field. It's hard to find out where he's going to line up from down to down yet. I know where chase is going to be. I know where Montez is going to be, and I know where the front line is going to be. Everybody else on the backside, they're going to be in some type of a zone, you know, with the linebackers. I'm going to pick your part with dragging guys across the, the seams with drag routes because, you know, especially Cody Barton, he can't he couldn't cover his own shadow. Um, but yet his, his, his defensive coordinator continues to put him out there to get embarrassed. Uh, and I feel like they don't. The, the lack of pressure up front really makes the back half look bad. And that's why mm-hmm. we're seeing some of the mistakes from, um, you know, Emmanuel Forbes, I believe, because he yeah, feels right. like he has to, to gamble to get, try to get a turnover because it's not happening up front. Right. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the big plays they've given up uh, when they have tried to jump around and it didn't work like the, uh, the one Kendall Fuller gave up uh, against the bears. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. The, the, the thing that has just boggled my mind is, and I like Emmanuel Forbes. I, I think that was a, a pretty decent pick, um, but too. that, that they have stuck him out on an Island day one and just said, okay, go cover the other team's best receiver, I mean, what's up with that? I mean, there's been no safety help over the top. If you want him to play, if you do want him to play man or something like that, why make him travel with A.J. Brown, for crying out loud? Uh, you know, you've got you've got a, a guy on the other side of the field in Kendall Fuller who's won a Super Bowl, for crying out loud. Absolutely. Uh, seems to me like maybe there's a better way to develop him. But again, what do I know? I'm not a defensive coordinator, but it is, it's very, very strange to me the way they have, they have handled Forbes so far this season. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, And I don't like what I'm seeing from the defense. Uh, Once again, this, you know, 
we can talk about, you know, the things that they have with the offense and the offense not staying out there. I use uh, two games this year, uh, the Jets, and then there was a 10 to 13 ball game that um, the the Ravens were involved in, and their, their defense was holding it down uh, when the offense wasn't. And at some point, your defense has got to man up and, and do something. Now, they got three turnovers, which was great, but – man, they still were allowing the Falcons to move the ball down the field. And right. I, a better quarterback, they might have lost that game. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you you just you go back and rewatch the game, and Desmond Ritter had two big plays where, again, there was a coverage bust out there on the back end, uh, the one in the end zone that he overthrew Van Jefferson, and then there was uh, – there was a second one there early on. Yeah, you know, and that could have have turned, you know, turned the tide in the game. And that's what you have to worry about. And again, you can probably pick out a play from every NFL game every week that that happens. But, you know, it's one of those things where it seems to be a common problem with this defense. And, you know, again, You've invested all of this draft capital in these players. You know, we always hear six, seven first-round picks on the field at at one time. And so that means either you're not coaching them up right away, you're not the right way, you're not scheming them the right way, or you've picked the wrong players to begin with. Now, I happen to like most of the picks. I just think, you know, in this day and age, you can't just go out there and say, well, we're going to line up our ends against their ends and see what happens. Every team has so much tape on every other team. You know they're going to be scheming every week to try and beat you. You can't just sit there and say, hey, everybody beat their man head up and we'll be successful. It's just not that simple in the NFL anymore. I wish it was, but it's not. It's not. It really isn't. And you know, it, ha- having a quarterback or or having, you know, these types of things go on are not very good. And uh, mm-hmm. if you, you know, you're making, if you're having these problems, is it time to make a change now? I felt it was time to make a change at the coordinator position on the defensive side uh, two games ago. Mm-hmm. And after what had happened, uh, especially in that Bears game, he, he should have never made it. He should have just walked right on out the tunnel to his car and to the airport. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's a moot point because I don't think he can make a change. Unless Ron's going to take over uh, as the defensive coordinator, there's nobody else on the staff that's uh, that's ever been a coordinator before. So there's really no place to go, which makes this weekend even more interesting because, you know, I mean, come on. The Giants – I. I said before the season the Giants were going to be a grease fire, and I mean they're a full blown four alarm at this point. They're averaging eleven points a game. So if this defense gets torched this week, I don't. I think Ron's going to have to start uh, start calling the defensive signals. And is he up to that? I don't know. You know, uh, yeah. We you that know, was my we, next question. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that he is. I mean, you know, he's done all this delegating and and whether it's fair whether the criticism's fair that he just stands there it appears to just be standing on the sideline you know with his arms folded and yada 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 i don't know um 
I do know that, you know, there to his credit, you know, this team does not quit on him. And this is kind of the time of the year when they start to get it in gear. So, right. you know, it, it, maybe they're due to to go up to New Jersey and finally beat the Giants there. Uh, because we all know this is a perfect scenario for the Giants. They're they're playing like crap. Uh the commanders are coming in. This is the this is the exact situation historically where the Giants all of a sudden start playing like it's it's LT in nineteen you know ninety out there again. Yeah, and you know we've seen this story before as well. Uh, Many times in the Meadowlands, we we you have a, a Washington team at times that have played well before they go there. They go there, and um, it's like nobody traveled, and we see a team that we hadn't ever seen before, kind of like that Bears game. Um, It makes me a little uneasy. That Giants defense balled in their last game, regardless of the outcome. Now, offensively, if Tyrod Taylor is back, it wasn't beautiful. But he definitely kept the engine running and kept them moving and gave them a shot at the end. Let's not forget, gave them a shot at the end. Now, to me, the Buffalo Bills are a Jekyll and Hyde team, and they go as Josh Allen goes. So there could be some, you know, some of that mixed into them having the success that they had. But you can't overlook that, though. Oh, absolutely not. Also, okay, so throw that part, throw the Jekyll and Hyde aspect of the Bills out, but you can replace that instantly by saying, hey, this is an NFC East game. These two teams know each other really, really well. And you're absolutely right. You know, as bad as the Giants' offense was, you know, Tyrod Taylor kept him in it, and that defense was no joke. You know, it wasn't wasn't like they they were behind 30 to nothing after the first quarter. So... Yeah, it's you know it's it's going to be very it's going to be very very interesting and it it's a game that's got all kinds of you know negative ramifications if if the commanders don't come out and aren't on point from the jump. What are your keys uh, to this game on Sunday at one o'clock on CBS? Well, I think the first one is, and I, I don't think this is really breaking any news, but it's Sam Howell. And the turnovers. Just don't turn the ball over. I understand that sacks are a problem. I get that. Um, But I really, really think that they have got something with Sam Howell. Now, I'm a little I'm a little biased because my wife went to North graduated from North Carolina. (laughs) One of my daughters are at North Carolina. I literally have watched every one of Sam Howell's games that he has started his entire college and pro career but there is something about the guy and, and I, you know i like his moxie he's obviously got the skill sets i like the fact that he came from a school um where they weren't always you know they didn't always have the best talent out there he was kind of yeah he was pushing the rock uphill a lot as opposed right. to guys that come from ohio state and alabama sometimes so yeah. um I, I think the key is for him to go in there not get rattled try not to take as many sacks as he has been but don't turn the ball over um since the defense has been struggling Make sure that you don't give them a short field, especially with the offense as bad as it is for the Giants. And then I think the uh, another key is 
getting Emmanuel Forbes back on the field and seeing how he responds. And again, with this Giants offense being so bad, should be a perfect get-right game for the kid. Give him a little more confidence out there. Yeah, I think they need to come out and do what they did in the Atlanta game with a little bit more of B-Rod running the ball. I like the way that uh, Eric Bieniemy had a little play action, rolled him out of the pocket area, mm-hmm. got him on the outs, and then, you know, I call Curtis Samuel now. He's the he's the Swiss Army knife of this uh, this offense, and they, u- they utilize him in so many different ways that it's really hard for the defense to pick up of where and when and what they're going to do with him. That's one thing I like about Eric Bieniemy too. Uh, if you pay attention week to week, it's really hard to key in on who's going to get the ball outside of Terry. You know you want to get Terry involved. You want to get him lathered up, get him involved early. But it's who else are they going to use? One week it was, uh, you know, it was Cole Turner. Uh, mm-hmm. Another week they went right. The next week they went to to uh, Logan Thomas instead of Cole Turner. You just – and then you, you see him mixing in this past week. They had uh, Rodriguez come out and get a little uh, involved in this offense. Mm-hmm. I think they have to come out, mix it up, but attack. And on defense, I've been saying this for six weeks now, you got to take something away. The defense has to take something away and make them beat you doing something else. And if you lose that way, I respect that. But when you don't take away anything and you're led around like a puppy all game long, at the mercy of the opposing team's offense, and you're giving up points, I can't be okay with that and then say, well, oh, the offense is going out too early and they're doing this and that because, to your point earlier, they feel like they have to press now and push the ball down the field quickly to get scores because you're giving up so much on the back end. Yeah, you know, it. it's – it's why I worry because it seems like the perfect scenario for a get right game. I mean, Saquon obviously isn't right. None of the receivers, you know, scare you for the giants. I don't even think I can name any of them outside mm-hmm. of Shepard. Yep. You know, they're going to run it. Okay. They've got this five man front that they can put out there. The commanders do. What is the freaking problem? They should be able to just absolutely shut this uh, this giants offense down that should let them run the ball the commanders run the ball yeah. when they have when they're on offense but again it's just in the back of your mind you just keep remembering all the times that that we've we have seen the start of this movie before and the giants have come out and played like super bowl champs yeah i, I that's that's the concern and mm-hmm. the way that defense played against buffalo a very formidable offense that was another concerning thing because they looked like poop the other weeks yeah. until last week. So, well, and, and that's that's one of the other things that you have to hang your hat on if you're a Commanders fan is that let's face it, the Giants are a bad team. Bad teams can play very good one week, but they seldom can play on one side of the ball. They seldom can play very good two weeks in a row. You know, yeah. so and I, I trust Eric Bieniemy and kind of give him the benefit of the doubt uh, on offense that he, you know, he knows what he's doing and he's he's going to scheme things the right way to score enough points to theoretically win the game. It's just going to defense do its job. Yeah. 
I'm going to ask you before we get out of here, um, what's the score and who wins? Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, You know, screw it. I do not want to put the hex on the commanders um, because I like to root for them when I'm not not writing about them. Um, And I also like to root for a good story. And it's going to be a very entertaining story if they go up to the Meadowlands and lose. What the hell? Let's just say the Giants win this thing 23-21. And I will be thrilled to be wrong about that. Absolutely thrilled to be wrong about it. Every time I pick them to beat the Giants, they lose. So I'm going the other way. Reverse psychology this week. Yeah, my score was 24-20 Giants in a very, very close, close game. Um, I I don't want to... I hope it's the opposite because again, we like good stories. Um, it makes our job at Sports Journey a lot easier when they're oh, yeah. winning, and uh, this would be a huge win for the fan base and a huge win for this team to keep catapulting them forward um, in this season as it's going to get tougher as they they go the weeks go on. And so remember, everybody out there watching this, that's why we're picking the Giants. Remember, (laughs) reverse psychology. That's why we're doing this. We're not leaving anything to chance this week. Exactly. And, Bob, tell people – we I know where they can find your work, but tell people where they can find your work and find your great podcast as well. So you can find find me writing writing three days a week on sportsjourney.com. The Great Lake Lewis graciously puts my work up there. You can also find the Bob Matthews podcast there, and you can find the Bob Matthews podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Just uh, type in hockeypodcastnetwork.com. It comes right up. And if you want to keep up with every time uh, we drop a new episode, you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever the hell we're calling it now, at Bob Matthews 965 I like to call it the artist formerly known as Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> and please, go and check out the podcast. It, it's halfway decent, and we really need the downloads. So if it, it's, you don't have to listen stuff. to it, just just download it. That's that's what my mother does. She doesn't listen to it. She downloads it, and we get credit for it. That's all you got. Well, well, I listen, so I appreciate it, DJ. <laughs> I listen to yours too. So there you go. I appreciate it. Man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bob, for coming on. And as I've been telling everybody, as this show is just getting started, first time, but it will not be the last, brother. Anytime you need me, you just holler. I'll be there for you. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. You bet. And that's the end, ladies and gentlemen. We had quite the show tonight. And, uh, man, it's so much great stuff going on. Uh, We went a little bit over tonight, but uh, I'm okay with that because there was some great stuff that you guys got to uh, listen to tonight. Oh, man. NHRA is off this week as they go to Vegas. I'm really looking forward to Vegas because it's going to be cool weather that means big numbers like we saw in Texas. And boy, that stampede of speed is something else, isn't it? That whole week long of nothing but racing and race gas and race cars and ending it with the NHRA as the crescendo is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, man, I really hope that we have a solid commander's game on Sunday. Um, just so much, so much that they can do if they can start beating teams that they're better than 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to watch this show. Of course, if you cannot watch this show, you can always listen to it again or listen back or listen when you can on all of the major podcasting platforms. And we do have an audio version of that. Um, you know, you guys, your participation, your commenting, it really means a lot. Uh, really overwhelming as we start this journey on this show. Uh, again, this is the Not Bland Show. I'm your host, Dujanae Bland. We're powered by sportsjourney.com. And uh, can't wait to talk to you guys next Wednesday. Good night, everybody. <laughs>